We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go. Episode 200 of the Al Galdi podcast. Yes, we have made it to episode 200. 200. Episode 1 came out in February. We now arrive at episode 200 in December. It is Friday, December 3rd, 2021, and it is great to be with you on what is a monumental Football Friday installment of the pod. Massive college football news for the area during the day on Thursday. A key game regarding the Washington football team's playoff picture on Thursday night and a big game for the W to the F to the T on Sunday afternoon at the Las Vegas Raiders. We on Sunday afternoon at 4.05 will have the 5-6 and six Washington football team at the 6-5 and five Las Vegas Raiders, the burgundy and gold versus the silver and black. Is it not appropriate that these two franchises are playing each other this season, given the provenance of the leaked Bruce Allen emails? I mean, after all, Brucey worked for both teams. The leaked emails have most impacted these two teams. Uh, Will Brucey be in attendance at the game? You know, can Brucifer be like an honorary captain at the game or something like that? Shouldn't he be doing something at the game? Maybe Bruce can do the coin toss. You know, maybe there can be a stipulation attached to the game regarding the Bruce Allen emails. You know, in pro wrestling, we have stipulation matches, you know, like a loser leaves town match in which the loser of the match has to leave the promotion or a hair versus hair match in which the loser of the match 
has his or her head shaved, or a mask versus mask match in which the loser of the match gets unmasked. We need a stipulation for Washington at Vegas. Maybe it should be that the winner of the game gets perpetual immunity from anything bad happening to the team off whatever else comes out with the emails. I don't know. We need something. Whatever the case, in-depth preview of the game is forthcoming. Next segment, I'm talking Washington offense, including the latest on injuries. Uh, There's a lot to get to with that. And the best of what offensive coordinator Scott Turner had to say on Thursday. Scott complimented Taylor Heineke's accuracy. Imagine that. Heineke maybe isn't the train wreck in terms of accuracy that the Dators like to say that he is. Uh, Scott also talked a lot about Washington running the ball so much lately. Uh, Some good discussion. I will talk Washington defense off comments from the team's defensive coordinator, former Raiders head coach, right? Jack Del Rio on Thursday. We'll get into the matchup with what is an ultra-explosive Raiders offense. Derek Carr has been throwing bombs for the Raiders this season. Big test for Washington's improved defense on Sunday. And of course, I will have for you my rhyming keys for a Washington win at Vegas and a prediction for the game. So on Thursday night football, the NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys did win at the New Orleans Saints 27-17. On the one hand, yes, it is bad that the Cowboys won. Uh, Washington for the moment is two and a half games behind the Cowboys for first in the NFC East. Washington is 5-6, and six, Cowboys now 8-4. and four. But on the other hand, what had been a four-way tie in the NFC at 5-6 and six now is a three-way tie as the Saints now are 5-7. and seven. So Washington, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Atlanta Falcons, each team is 5-6. and six. You have Washington at the Raiders this Sunday afternoon at 4.05. You have the Vikings at the 0-10-1 Detroit Lions this Sunday afternoon at 1. And you have the Falcons home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this Sunday afternoon at 1. So yes, the better result on Thursday night would have been the Cowboys losing, but there was some good that came from the Saints losing. Bottom line though, Washington just needs to keep winning. Uh, Also on this show, how about what went down in the state of Virginia on Thursday? First, the introductory press conference for Brent Pry as Virginia Tech head coach. Then the shocking resignation of Bronco Mendenhall as Virginia head coach. This was an all-time day for college football in the Commonwealth. I'll talk about both major developments, including trying to make sense of this Bronco Mendenhall situation. Nobody saw that coming. And I'll postgame the Capitals 4-3 shootout loss to the Chicago Blackhawks at Capital One Arena on Thursday night. Caps now 0-6 in overtime slash shootout games this season. That's just random and fluky, but that is kind of annoying as well. Well, this is episode 200 of the Al Galdi podcast, and I do want to take a moment to thank everyone for everything. Uh, I had no idea how this thing would go when I started it back in February, and I'm being honest when I say that I'm thrilled with how this podcast has gone. Uh, I enjoy the heck out of doing this podcast. I have been overwhelmed and humbled by the support For this podcast, I have been very encouraged by the growth of this podcast, especially during football season. And so I want to thank everyone. Uh, I want to thank our great sponsors, including the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Uh, I want to thank Imageworks. I want to thank the master of Commission Flex, John Grandland. I want to thank Dr. George Verghese. I want to thank Weedman. I want to thank Dr. Matthew Mintz. Uh, I want to thank all of you 
for listening and downloading and subscribing and rating and reviewing and tweeting and emailing. You know, this podcast is like an underground movement. You know, this is a grassroots effort. We're like a militia, people. And there's no way that I could be doing what I'm doing without you. So I say thank you. You know, it's funny. When I talk to people, including guests, like before or after we're done taping interviews, the guests will ask me, "Uh, so how's it going? As in, so how is this whole podcast thing going? And I tell everyone more or less the same thing. It's going well. (laughs) I'm enjoying this. Uh, I believe that this is working and can continue to work. Now, I'm not just going to declare victory because the test of time is the ultimate test. But yeah, I mean, I'd say so far, so good. And I also say this, and I mean this 100%, and I say this with no malice. I say this only in a matter-of-fact way. I don't miss radio one bit. Now, I miss some of the people. I miss the camaraderie. But I don't miss radio one bit. Uh, I don't miss being a part of a sinking ship. I don't miss being jerked around from time slot to time slot with no plan and no vision. I don't miss working for ownerships that have no idea what they're doing and, in fact, in some cases, sabotaged what we as a station were doing. Uh, I don't miss any of that stuff. I have, since I got let go by the Team 980, found out a lot more about why I was let go. And the reasons, as I suspected, had nothing to do with my on-air work or my ability to draw an audience. I'm drawing an audience with this podcast. The reasons that I was let go had nothing to do with money, okay? Trust me, I did not carry a high cap hit. Uh, I'm not going to get into the reasons that I was let go because it does me no good to get into those reasons, but, you know, they're not hard to figure out. And look, the company that now owns the station has every right to run the station however the company wants to run the station and has every right to use the station for whatever purposes that the company wants. I was owed nothing, okay? It is a privilege to work in broadcasting, not a right. So I'm not bitter at all. And the truth is, I was done a favor in being let go because chances are I would have never left on my own. I'm pretty loyal. I'm pretty set in my ways. And like, if I'm set doing something, I want to keep doing that something and see that something to the highest level. Uh, But being let go, I think I was done a favor, man. I don't miss working at the station beyond, like I said, some of the people. And here's maybe the ultimate proof of all of this. I have not spent one second since I was let go trying to get another job in radio. I'm telling you the truth, man, not one second. I could have gone back to work at 980 and also to work at 1067 The Fan on a part-time basis. I chose not to. I wanted to do this podcast. I wanted to devote myself to this podcast because I very much believed in what this could be, and because podcasting is where the audio industry is at. You know, there's a reason that all of these radio stations now bombard you with their apps, because these stations know that the radio industry model is antiquated. Digital is where it's at. Now, I don't think that radio is just going to, like, go away, but, you know, to me, the comp is streaming versus cable television. You know, podcasting is streaming. Radio is cable TV. You tell me which one has more of a future. So again, thank you. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Ambassador Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, 
one of many big shots who listen to this podcast. Uh, Ambassador Gutman is a big Washington football team fan. Writes Ambassador Gutman, I hope you are terrific and enjoyed Thanksgiving. Thank you very much, Ambassador. Same to you. Continues the Ambassador. One suggestion. When you started the podcast, it seemed uncertain how long it might last. There was a certain beauty with reciting the number of the show, each show. Number one, number 10, then number 50, then number 100, and so forth. But now, once you hit 200, perhaps you should consider dropping the practice for several reasons. First, who cares if it is 248 or 267? The count is now basically irrelevant. Second, it is now counterproductive for two reasons. I believe I have heard every podcast. So while one and a half hours on a morning does not seem excessive, every time you recite the number, I think, geez, I have spent 195 periods of my life times one and a half hours per show, totaling 292 hours or seven work weeks listening to this one podcast. Perhaps I should use such time on other activities. And whereas the inevitable march of time is not particularly bothersome to someone like you in your 40s, it is taxing and concerning to someone in their 60s, 70s, or more. So the count of the passage of time actually becomes a negative activity. Welcome to the Al Galdi podcast is plenty. Just a thought. All the best, Howard. Well, first of all, thank you for the email, Ambassador Gutman. I am honored that you believe that you have listened to every episode of the podcast. And I would suggest if you're doing the math in your head and you're saying, well, geez, maybe I should be spending my time on other activities. I would say, no, listening to this podcast is the height of activity that you can reach. But I have to tell you, I never really thought about why I begin each show by saying the episode number. But now that you bring it up, I guess I do that For two reasons. Number one, I like having like a uniform beginning and ending to each show. That's just how I am. Maybe that's the OCD in me coming out. But listenership in podcasting, listenership in radio is a lot about habits and routine. And people like having things that are familiar and comfortable. And so I feel like starting each episode a certain way and ending each episode a certain way makes sense. That's just me. Doesn't mean that I'm right. That's just me. Uh, Number two, when I started the podcast, I wanted the podcast to be a podcast in which you didn't have to go nuts figuring out which episode is which and where things are talked about in each episode. I think a lot of podcasts are sloppy in that regard. I'm not saying that what I do is perfect, but marking each episode with a number makes it clear which episode is which. And if I reference something from a previous episode, I can just say the number instead of the date which can be confusing depending on where the episode was uploaded. And the timestamps to me are even more important because few things are as aggravating as wanting to listen to a specific topic on a podcast and having to go hunting and searching for that topic. So every episode of this podcast has timestamps for the different things that I talk about. Now, the timestamps can vary in accuracy depending on ads that are automatically inserted into each episode by Blue Wire. But the timestamps, at the very least, give you a guide as to where each segment is at because I know that not everyone is interested in everything. You know, some people only want to hear me talk about the Washington football team and nothing else, and that's fine. But look, perhaps it is time to retire the proclamations of the episode numbers. Perhaps Ambassador Gutman is right. You know, the last thing that I want to do is start a war with Belgium, okay? That was actually one of my stated goals when I started this podcast. Avoid war with Belgium. 
Uh, you tell me what you think. You know, this podcast in its less than one year of existence has sparked some serious debate. We had the debate over whether I should cuss on the pod. I got a lot of feedback on that. The majority answer was no. We had the debate over the intro song for the pod. Uh, that was a heated debate, a contentious debate, and a debate that swung. The initial majority opinion was very much against the song. But as time has gone on, I have received a ton of feedback in favor of the song. Pro the song. This has been one of the all-time great comebacks in podcast intro song debate history. Uh, so perhaps now it is time for a new debate. The verbalizing of the episode numbers at the starts of the episodes. Yay or nay. Uh, but thank you, Ambassador Gutman, for the suggestion. And I have to say, I got a kick out of the math that you did in figuring out how many hours you and others have spent listening to the podcast. You did your own version of Spotify Wrapped, essentially. Uh, speaking of Spotify Wrapped, I got this email from Aaron Bartell. Writes Aaron, uh, Dear Al, Spotify does an end-of-the-year statistical review of your listening history. Suffice it to say, you've been my top listen this year. The numbers don't lie. 91 episodes, 5,755 minutes, or nearly four whole days, if you don't feel like doing the math. Overall, based on my podcast-adjusted value-over-average PVOA metric, I would grade your podcast at a 924 out of 100. Keep up the good work. Always enjoy making you part of my routine. Well, thank you very much for that, Aaron. Much appreciated. I love that. PVOA. Forget DVOA. We now have PVOA. But here's my question about this whole Spotify rap thing, which has been a big thing on social media in recent days. The year isn't over. Like, why is Spotify doing this now when we still have the month of December. This to me is like the Pro Bowl. The NFL announces its Pro Bowl selections with weeks left in the regular season. That to me is moronic. The Pro Bowl selections are announced before some of the most important games of the season are played. Uh, that, among many other reasons, is why being a Pro Bowl selection doesn't mean what it should. Well, your business surely means a lot to you. Uh, if you own or run a business, you, of course, want to grow that business. You want to reel in new customers for your business. You want to spread awareness of your business. Well, you should put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design branding and marketing company. ImageWorks is located in Washington, D.C. at Northern Virginia, but serves the entire country. So if you're listening in, say, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, even California, ImageWorks can help you. For more than two decades, ImageWorks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But ImageWorks is more than a branding and marketing firm. ImageWorks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. ImageWorks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703-378-0000 or by going to imageworkscreative.com and clicking on contact near the upper right corner. When you call or contact, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703-378-0000 or go to imageworkscreative.com and click on contact near the upper right corner and make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. 
ImageWorks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, before we get going here, I want to play something for you. In honor of the Washington football team playing at the Raiders this Sunday, let us indulge in one of the greatest pieces of audio ever. Let's do something special to commemorate this being episode 200 of the Al Galdi podcast. The classic NFL films piece, The Autumn Wind. Many of you have probably heard this. If you've never heard this, you're in for a treat. This is narrated by the legendary John Facenda, who had one of the greatest voices that anyone has ever had. Uh, I don't normally like to pay homage to opposing teams for the Washington football team, but this piece is just too good to not play. And if this doesn't get you fired up for Sunday, I cannot help you. Here you go. The autumn wind is a pirate. Blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. His face is weather-beaten. He wears a hooded sash, with a silver hat about his head, and a bristling black mustache. He growls as he storms the country, a villain big and bold. And the trees all shake and quiver and quake as he robs them of their gold. The autumn wind is a raider, pillaging just for fun. He'll knock you round and upside down and laugh when he's conquered and won. Come on, come on. That right there is like an injection of testosterone. That right there is like a full-scale TRT treatment. I can't get enough of that. It is time for battle. It is time for football. Here we go. All right, we have a football game on Sunday, my friends. The 5-6 and six Washington football team at the 6-5 and five Las Vegas Raiders Sunday afternoon at 4.05. Uh, next segment, I'll go in-depth on Washington's defense, including bad news regarding Benjamin St. Juice. I'll also get into the matchup with the Raiders offense that is very capable of the big play. But right now, we talk Washington offense, for which there was mixed injury news on Thursday. The bad news was this. Eric Flowers did not practice on Thursday. Uh, That's not good. Uh, Flowers wasn't even listed on Wednesday's injury report, but he on Thursday's injury report was listed as having not practiced on Thursday due to a foot 
So this very much bears worth monitoring. Uh, Flowers has been really durable this season and has been really good this season. Uh, Flowers has been Washington's starting left guard in all 11 games, and he threw Week 12, was number five among all qualified guards in the NFL in ESPN's pass block win rate metric at 96%. So bad news for Washington at left guard, but potentially good news for Washington at center. Uh, Now, Wes Schweitzer did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to his ankle, but Tyler Larson was a limited participant in practice on Thursday, this off him having not practiced on Wednesday. So Larson was inactive for Washington's last game, the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football due to a knee injury. Schweitzer was Washington's starting center on Monday night, but he, for a second straight game, had to exit the game due to an ankle issue, bringing Keith Ismail into the game. Now, Ismail did just fine, but it is perhaps possible that Larson will be back for Sunday at the Raiders. We'll see. Uh, J.D. McKissick did not practice on Thursday for a second consecutive day due to the concussion that he suffered in the fourth quarter of the win over the Seahawks. Uh, five Washington offensive players on Thursday were limited in practice for a second consecutive day. Curtis Samuel due to his groin, Logan Thomas due to his hamstring, Antonio Gibson due to his shin, Brandon Sheriff due to a knee, and Ricky Sills-Jones due to the hip injury that has had him as inactive for each of the last two games. So you take a step back, the injury concerns for Washington's offense for this game of the Raiders are Eric Flowers. Is he going to be good to go or isn't he? Uh, the situation at center, Tyler Larson and Wes Schweitzer and J.D. McKissick. Uh, this for a Washington offense that will be facing a Raiders defense that has a player in edge defender, Max Crosby, who is having an excellent season. Uh, more on him during Rhyming Keys, but also is a defense that has given up plenty this season. The Raiders through week 12 for Football Outsiders DVOA metric were just number 25 in the NFL in pass defense and number 17 in the NFL in run defense. Taylor Heineke during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday said that he's playing the best football that he has played. Uh, That can continue with this game at the Raiders. Uh, Heineke during Washington's three-game winning streak has five touchdown passes versus one interception and a completion percentage of 77.53, which is absurd. Uh, Heineke during the three-game winning streak has completed 69 of his 89 pass attempts. Washington offensive coordinator Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon did his weekly post-practice press conference. Accuracy and decision-making, maybe the two most important traits for a quarterback. Scott on Thursday on whether he has seen improvement from Taylor Heineke in both of these areas this season. Uh, Yeah, I think his accuracy um, has always been there. Uh, You know, you're not going to make every throw, you know, um, but I think that's stayed pretty consistent. Uh, The decision-making, though, uh, yeah, I think he's making decisions faster, um, you know, kind of with authority. You know, when he makes a decision, he he guns it or, you know, he makes the throw the way we're supposed to make it. I think it's just experience and just seeing seeing things over and over again, but absolutely his decision-making has improved. And you know, not to say that he doesn't make bad decisions from time to time because everybody, everybody does, but um, you just want to make a lot more good than, than you do bad. And I think that's, that's continued to be the case. Yes, it has. And that needs to continue to be the case. So a big topic this week has been Washington running the ball so much during the three-game winning streak. Washington has clobbered opposing teams in time of possession 
during the three-game winning streak, including annihilating the Seahawks in time of possession on Monday night by an incredible 23 minutes, 20 seconds. I still can't get over that. Washington won time of possession on Monday night by 23 minutes, 20 seconds. Uh, Antonio Gibson has totaled 72 carries during Washington's three-game winning streak. Uh, It has been great to see all of this, but as I have been pointing out on this podcast, do not get fooled by the fake news. Uh, While, yes, there has been an increased commitment to the run by Washington, the primary reason that Washington is running the ball more is that the team is playing with leads. You don't just wake up and decide that you're going to run the ball more and then do so no matter what. Uh, If you're down 21-3, you're not running the ball a bunch. Uh, The primary reason that Washington is running the ball more is that the team is playing with leads. And the team is playing with leads uh, because of the play of Taylor Heineke and because of the play of Washington's defense. Uh, Washington running the ball so much lately is, in essence, a result of the three-game winning streak, uh, not the cause of the three-game winning streak. Here was Scott Turner on Thursday on Washington running the ball so much during the three-game winning streak. And I think we kept it balanced. I mean, obviously in the Carolina game, you know, we were skewed heavily run, but, you know, again, we were being, we were, it was successful. So, you know, um, just being able to get after those guys a little bit. And then this past game, we just had so many plays. I mean, we still threw the ball 35 times. You know, we just, you know, we had 43 runs and we were up in the second half, you know, after that first drive. So a lot of that has to play into it. I've said this before, um, just like when you know we've had these conversations when we've been pretty ha- pass heavy. Games come up differently, and if you want to be a good offense, or you and and you know want to be a, especially if you want to be a great offense, you've got to be able to beat people with the run game. You got to be able to beat people with the pass game, you know, and you've got to be able to do do it all because uh, otherwise t- teams are too good, the coaches are too good in this league, the players are too good that they can take take you one thing away or the other. Yeah, and Scott right there put things well. It's not about being a run-heavy team or a pass-heavy team. You, as an offense, need to be good at both running and passing. Now, I do believe that passing matters more than running. Like, if you have to pick one, you'd much rather be a great passing team than a great running team. But you want to be great at both. Uh, The reason that passing matters more than running is that passing is more efficient than running. Uh, Just think of it like this. A great yards per carry is five, right? You see a running back with a yards per carry of five or better, you're like, wow, that guy's good. Uh, Well, a really bad yards per pass attempt is six. You see a quarterback with a yards per pass attempt of six, you say, that guy's got nothing happening. Uh, So a great yards per carry is five. A really bad yards per pass attempt is six. The upper reaches of running the ball are the lower reaches of passing the ball. Passing is more efficient than running in today's NFL by miles. And so Scott Turner on Thursday got asked this. As a play caller, does he ever say to himself when calling so many running plays that he needs to start calling more passing plays because the efficiency numbers so clearly reveal that passing is more efficient than running? Um, I mean, you're always going to be balanced, like, you know, but uh, I think when the run's working, you know, it it makes you really feel like you can call any play on the sheet. You know what I mean? Uh, When you're having some issues running the ball, that's when it gets a little bit tougher. Uh, It just lets you let you play a little bit more free. Yeah, you do want to be able to run the ball well, although I don't agree with Scott saying that you want to be balanced 
Uh, if he was referring to play calling balance in a game, you want to be balanced in terms of being able to both pass and run well in general. If that's what Scott was referring to, then fine. But I don't think that play calling balance in a game matters at all. You and a game do whatever it takes to win. If that means calling 50 passing plays, fine. Uh, if that means calling 50 running plays, fine. Here was Scott on Thursday on whether a team can win in the NFL in 2021 with a run first offense. I, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, going back to like somebody's earlier question, I think you got to be able to do it all. You know, I mean, if teams are going to play you, um, you know, top down and, and dare you to run the ball, then you got to be able to be successful running the ball. You got, but like, even against Carolina, like, yeah, we ran the ball great. We had 190 yards. All three of our touchdowns were touchdown passes. Like, you had to throw it into the end zone. You know, we had a 10-yard run for touchdown in Seattle. We threw a screen for a touchdown. Like, you gotta, you got to be able to throw the ball to score. Um, you know, you just have to, be, you have to be efficient in both. In some games, you know, you might be heavier pass. Like, we, you know, obviously played the Giants in week two, and we were very good offensively. We had a very successful game. Um, and it was mostly because we threw the ball, you know. And, you know, there's going to be play games like that because, you know, they were a team that, you know, they got big guys up front. They're going to overload you in the box, and they're going to dare you to throw the ball. And you, you got to be able to do that. So um, you can't let the, a defense make you one-sided. Um, some games, again, it might be run-heavy. Some games it might be pass-heavy. But those are the, the best offenses in the league that, that can do that, you know, that can be successful doing both. Yeah, good points by Scott there about the win at the Carolina Panthers in Week 11 and about the win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in Week 2. That was that 30-29 walk-off win. Taylor Heineke in that game, 34 of 46 for 336 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. He took one sack. He had four carries for six yards. Taylor Heineke won that game with his arm. You, in a given game, do whatever you need to do to win. What about all of this from the perspective of the offensive line? Scott Turner on Thursday on if there's a difference for Washington's offensive linemen with Washington going with so many running plays recently. They're happier when we run the ball a lot more. No, I mean, the offensive linemen, they want to run the ball. I mean, that's just the nature of, you know, the position. You don't, you wouldn't want it any other way. Um, but no, they, it just, it's a lot it's not. I shouldn't. It's not easier because it's running the ball is hard and blocking guys up front is hard. But there's a lot less pressure on them, you know, when you're running the ball and the defensive line is having to play both instead of just having to drop back um, in pass pro. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of talented rushers in this league, and um, I think that's what that kind of can take a little bit of pressure off of them uh, when you are running the ball successfully because again the defense they gotta they gotta play the run and if you're running the ball and you're getting four five six yard gains then they got to put an extra emphasis in stopping the run um, which makes you know gives you more time to throw the ball uh, gets more reaction from play action pass on the second second level Um, it just all ties in together that way Uh, while we're talking offensive line so I spent a good bit of time on Thursday's show episode 199, singing the praises of Washington's offensive line coach, John Matsko, who is doing an outstanding job. And who to me is Washington's best offensive line coach since the greatest of them all, Joe Bugle. Uh, One of the things that we got into on Thursday's show was how Washington's running games are put together. Uh, Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday talked about that, although he wouldn't say specifically whether Matsko plays a major role in putting together Washington's running games. Uh, I surmised that Matsko does play a major role, 
And sure enough, Scott Turner on Thursday confirmed this. Scott on Thursday on John Matsko's role in putting together Washington's running game for each game. He's the guy. I mean, he, you know, he puts the run game uh, together with some of our other assistant coaches um, as like the preliminary run game, and then we'll meet on it. Um, you know, we'll adjust it. I kind of have, I'll have conversations with him about, you know, which ones he likes the most. We rank them, um, and then ultimately, you know, I, I call the plays. Uh, but you know, he, I lean on him a lot. He's a great coach. He's been doing this for a long time. Uh, me and him have worked together. Um, a lot, so I, I trust him, and uh, no, he he uh, he's uh, I mean he, he's the guy. I mean he's the guy that gets it going, and uh, he coaches those guys, and you know puts a lot of pressure on them, and helps holds them accountable. Uh, the, his standards are, are very high, you know, and, and as all of ours are. But you know, Coach Matsko is a, a great coach and does an outstanding job with all of our stuff, but especially the run game. Yeah, no question about that. One thing that wasn't outstanding though about Washington's running game in the win over the Seahawks on Monday night was the short yardage game. Uh, The short yardage game came up short in the second half on Monday night. Washington running backs uh, in this game on Monday night had a really tough stretch of three consecutive drives in the second half in terms of short yardage runs. Washington's eighth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter three and out. Fourth snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and two, one yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, Washington's ninth offensive drive resulted in a third quarter three and out. Third snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson, a third and one shotgun read option run for no gain. Uh, That was a play on which it certainly appeared as if Taylor Heineke should have kept the football. Washington's 10th offensive drive resulted in a fourth quarter punt. Third snap of the drive, Jarrett Patterson, a third and one under center handoff run for no gain. Scott Turner on Thursday on Washington's three second half third and short fails in the win over the Seahawks. Yeah, we just, you know, they did a nice job up front. Um, you know, we we had some things where, you know, we we could have potentially executed a little better on a couple of those plays um, where we're maybe getting up to the next level. We could stay on the down guys just because we need, we need a yard. Uh, you know, but th- their guys made plays, and uh, we've been really successful in that situation really over the last couple of years, but even, you know, this year. Uh, and, you know, we just kind of went through that, that stretch where, you know, we didn't get them, but we'll evaluate, look at what we're doing, make sure we're not giving away too many tendencies and those types of things. Um, you're normally not in that many third and ones over the course of a game, um, but, you know, hats off to them for, for making those stops. Yeah, and as Scott said, Washington overall has been good on short yardage runs this season and last season too. Uh, even with the struggles on Monday night, Washington through week 12 was number five in the NFL in power success rate per football outsiders at 78%. Power success rate is the percentage of successful third and fourth down runs requiring no more than two yards for a first down or a touchdown. Now, interestingly, uh, Washington's primary short yardage back from last season, Peyton Barber, uh, now is on, right, this Sunday's opponent, the Raiders. And up next, I'll talk Washington defense, including what it will be facing in the Raiders offense, which is maybe the best big play offense in the NFL. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. More now on the Washington football team and its game at the Las Vegas Raiders this Sunday afternoon at 4.05. Let us talk Washington defense. And there's some bad news regarding a Washington defensive player, Benjamin St. Juice. Washington on Thursday afternoon placed St. Juice on the reserve injured list due to a concussion. Uh, This is concerning what's going on with St. Juice. So St. Juice was inactive for the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four due to a concussion. He came back, played, and then was inactive for the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in week 10 due to a concussion. He was back for each of the last two games, did not play on a single defensive snap in either of those two games, but did play on special teams in those games. He did not practice on Wednesday and Thursday due to a concussion, and he now has been placed on the reserve injured list. So it would seem that St. Juice has either suffered two concussions this season and is dealing with lingering effects, or he has in fact suffered three concussions this season. Uh, Either way, not good. Uh, Certainly wish Benjamin St. Juice the best. Uh, The corresponding roster move to Washington, placing St. Juice on the reserve injured list, was the team activating Daryl Roberts off of the reserve injured list. So Washington put Roberts on injured reserve on October 13th due to a quadriceps injury that he suffered in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. Roberts has not played on any of Washington's defensive snaps this season. I wouldn't think that he'll be playing on many, if any, defensive snaps for Washington in this game at the Raiders on Sunday. Washington has been playing William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, and Danny Johnson at corner, and there's no reason to think that all of a sudden now Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio are going to try to work a fourth corner into the mix, especially with all of the three safety looks going on right now. Although one of those safeties isn't really truly a safety anymore. That person is Landon Collins. And uh, speaking of him, uh, Landon on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to a foot injury that he suffered late in the fourth quarter of the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football. So Landon Collins' status for Sunday at the Raiders is at least in some doubt. Uh, Sunday's game is a homecoming game of sorts for Washington's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio. Uh, Jack Del Rio was the Raiders head coach for three seasons, 2015 through 2017, although the Raiders then, of course, were the Oakland Raiders, not the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Jack, in the 2016 regular season as Raiders head coach, went 12-4. and four. Uh, Jack on Thursday on having been head coach of the Raiders. I mean, I, I grew up right there, so, you know, I grew up right there. Well, not in Vegas, but I grew up right there in Oakland and um, grew up a Raider fan. So it's what I know. It's, it's what I was growing up. Um, 
I've always enjoyed competing against them when I'm there, and uh, I enjoyed the time when I was the head coach and um, thought we had a, a good solid run while I was there. But um, it's unique. I think the fans there are tremendous, and um, you know this will be a great experience for our guys to go into that atmosphere. Yeah, now, as you may remember, one of Jack's worst losses as Raiders head coach came at Washington. Week three of the 2017 season, Washington ripped Oakland 27-10 at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football. Kirk Cousins was on fire in that game, 25 of 30 for 365 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. But remember, Kirky never wins in primetime. He only won that game. He won a Sunday nighter over the Green Bay Packers in the 2016 season. He won a Saturday nighter at the Philadelphia Eagles to clinch the NFC East in the 2015 season. But no, he never, ever wins in primetime. He never, ever wins on Monday nights. That's true. But, you know, the idea that he never, ever wins in primetime, that's actually not so true. It just sounds nice. And the uh, anti-Kirkites have liked to say that over the years. Anyway, uh, the Raiders' starting quarterback remains Derek Carr. Uh, So the Raiders took Derek Carr in the second round of the 2014 NFL draft out of Fresno State. I don't think that Derek Carr gets enough credit. Derek Carr has been the Raiders starting quarterback for every season of his career. Uh, This is his eighth season as the Raiders starting quarterback. And he has been really durable. Uh, Carr started 121 of a possible 123 regular season games. And while he isn't elite, he has been pretty good. And he, this season has been really good. Uh, Derek Carr through week 12 was number 10 among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 57.2. He also seems to have been a great leader for the Raiders during what has been a very tumultuous season for them. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on whether he has seen growth from Derek Carr since Jack's time as Raiders head coach. Not really. The same guy. He was. I mean, he was good when we had him and he's... He's good now. You know, he's doing a nice job. I think he's leading the league in passing right now. And, um, you know, they have weapons, and they do a good job of getting getting them open and him delivering the ball to them. Regarding those weapons, so a big weapon now is gone. Uh, I mentioned this having been a very tumultuous season for the Raiders. Of course, their head coach, John Gruden, resigned off the leaking of the Bruce Allen emails from Brucey's time as a Washington executive. You also had the Raiders on November 2nd releasing receiver Henry Ruggs III, who the Raiders took with the number 12 overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft out of Alabama. Ruggs, as you likely know, was involved in a car crash that left a woman dead, and he has been charged with multiple felonies and a misdemeanor, including multiple charges of driving under the influence. However, even with Henry Ruggs III gone, the Raiders do still have offensive weapons. Uh, Receiver Hunter Renfro has a catch percentage this season of 78, which is really high, 64 receptions on 82 targets. Receiver Brian Edwards through week 12 was number one among qualified pass catchers in yards per reception. He's averaging 20.3 yards per catch on 22 receptions this season. Uh, Speaking of deep threats, maybe the greatest deep threat in NFL history, our old pal, Deshaun Jackson. 
the former Washington receiver, now is on the Raiders. Uh, Deshaun in the Raiders' last game, the 36-33 overtime win at the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving, had three receptions for 102 yards. Is that not a vintage Deshaun Jackson line? Three receptions for 102 yards. Uh, Included in that mix was a 56-yard touchdown catch on a big catch and run. Although Deshaun on Thursday did not practice due to a calf issue, Uh, he on Wednesday was limited in practice. Uh, Also, the Raiders on Sunday against Washington could be without their stud tight end, Darren Waller. Uh, Waller on Thursday did not practice for a second consecutive day due to back and knee issues. But the Raiders have another tight end and Foster Moreau, who's capable. And the Raiders have running backs, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, and yes, uh, Peyton Barber. Uh, Josh Jacobs rushed for 1,000-plus yards in each of his first two regular seasons, 2019 and 2020. Although Jacobs is dealing with an ankle ailment, uh, he on Thursday was limited in practice of not being listed on Wednesday's injury report. So the Raiders are banged up on offense. Deshaun Jackson is dealing with a calf. Darren Waller is dealing with back and knee issues. And Josh Jacobs is dealing with an ankle issue. Uh, As for Kenyon Drake, uh, Kenyon Drake is a guy who Washington supposedly wanted in free agency in the 2020 offseason, but he got transition tagged by the Arizona Cardinals. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on the Raiders offense. Yeah, they've got a good group. You know, uh, Deshaun adds some speed over the top that they lost with Ruggs. Um, Deshaun's been a good player for a long time in this league. Uh, you, you look at Waller, you look at Renfro, uh, they, they've, got some, they've got some weapons. You know, they've got two very capable backs, they've got a big offensive line, they've got a really good quarterback. So, um, and then and, and the tight ends are, are really good players. You know, Waller's special. So, uh, we've got our challenges in front of us, you know. We're, we're looking forward to going out there and competing and getting this offense slowed down. For what it's worth, uh, DVOA does not love the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders through Week 12 for Football Outsiders DVOA metric were 15th in the NFL in passing offense and just 23rd in the NFL in rushing offense. What's notable about the Raiders is that the team has put up some paltry point totals in its five losses. Uh, here are the Raiders' point totals in the team's five losses this season. 14, 9, 16, 14, and 13. Not very good. But the Raiders are explosive. When they're on, they're really on. No team in the NFL this season is doing explosive passing plays like the Raiders are doing explosive passing plays. The Raiders through Week 12, per sharp football stats, were number one in the NFL in explosive passing play rate at 13%. 58 explosive passing plays out of 431 total passing plays with an explosive passing play defined as a completion for at least 20 yards. Raiders this season through week 12 for sharp football stats, number one in the NFL in explosive passing play rate at 13%. Jack Del Rio on Thursday was asked about his defense having to contend with the great deep threat Deshaun Jackson this Sunday and said this. Yeah, we don't want anybody to catch a long one. (laughs) You know, so... Uh, he's definitely a guy that can go vertical. Um, we recognize that. They have several players that are capable. Edwards you know, gets vertical. I mean, uh, uh, Jones gets vertical. Those, they've got a good group, and, um, and they've got a quarterback that's getting the ball to them. So we've got to be on top of it. Yes, you do. Major test for a Washington defense that, as we have discussed, has been so much better 
during Washington's three-game winning streak. Jack on Thursday on why his defense has been so much better during the three-game winning streak. I think it's more just kind of um, staying about the process, continuing to work. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't fracture uh, when it was a very adverse time earlier in the year. I thought we continued to stay together, continued to work hard, uh, and, and that's, that's what gives you a chance, you know. Um, I've been doing this a long time. You know, teams that are able to um, kind of withstand that and stay together and keep working have a chance for better things late in the year. And, um, you know, we just got to continue to do that. Be urgent, work hard, uh, stay together, uh, and make plays for one another. And that's been happening. Uh, Nothing captures Washington's defensive improvement more than what's happening on third downs. Washington's defense has gone from being an embarrassment on third downs to having been really good on third downs over the last three games. Washington, during its 2-6 and six start, allowed opponents to go 65 of 115 on third downs. 56.52%. That is horrific third down defense. But Washington, during this three-game winning streak, has allowed opponents to go just 10 of 31 on third downs. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on Washington's improved third down defense. It's been improved. It needs to continue to be. It's a, it continues to be a point of emphasis. Uh, something that um, is really the key. You know, uh, the best way to stop a really good running team is to get off the field on third down. Uh, the best high, best way you stop an offense from generating a lot of points, a lot of yards, is to get off the field on third down. So, um, we've been better. You know, over the last month or so. Um, you know, we'll continue to emphasize that. We need to continue to win our battles and, um, you know, and be able to get ourselves over there enjoying some Gatorade and give our offense the ball back. And so that brings us to Washington secondary, which to me has been the most improved unit on Washington's improved defense. Uh, William Jackson III, much better. Kendall Fuller playing more on the outside, much better. Bobby McCain, better. Landon Collins, better. More on him in a bit. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on why the secondary has been so much better during the three-game winning streak. You know, Russian coverage coming together a little bit, um, a little bit better. I think the understanding of where we belong and how we fit together has been stronger. Um, you know, all the work that we're putting in um, is paying off, and I think that the way we have approached uh, our preparation, you know, coming out of the bye, I think has been stronger, more focused more urgent. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah. And so now let's get to Landon Collins. So Landon in the win over the Seahawks, of course, had the great force fumble. Seahawks fourth offensive drive, second snap of the drive on a Russell Wilson first and 10 shotgun play action completion to running back Alex Collins. Landon Collins did a great job of forcing a fumble that Cole Holcomb recovered as Landon Collins with his left hand punched out the football from behind on Alex Collins in the ensuing Washington offensive drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's second and seven 10-yard shotgun touchdown pass to J.D. McKissick with 56 seconds left in the second quarter. Now, we know that Landon Collins really doesn't like his new role, uh, doesn't like no longer being a pure safety, uh, whatever, man, okay? Landon Collins is doing well in his new role as a combo safety linebacker. Uh, He's doing well in his new role, playing what Ron Rivera calls the Buffalo Nickel. 
Uh, Landon is doing well in his new role as, as Ron said during his post-game press conference late night on Monday night, a drop-down safety. How many different names are there for Landon Collins' new role? Here was Jack Del Rio on Thursday on Landon Collins, if not embracing the new role, then at least playing and doing well in the new role. Well, I think the biggest thing is um, it's, it's not as drastic as maybe it's been made out to be. Uh, we're utilizing, you know, the talent we have available, um, putting people in position to do things that they can do well. And that's, that's our job as coaches, you know. And um, I think the fact that uh, there, there's been a little bit of a shift, and I think the fact that he has been really positive and really tremendous as a leader, um, as a positive energy guy, you know, in the room, I think all of that is is outstanding. But that's that's what we expect, you know. Um, but he but he has delivered, and and uh, so I commend him for that. Yeah, and I tell you, I give Jack Del Rio credit. He has been consistent in saying that Landon Collins' new role isn't that new. Uh, Jack Del Rio back in May in an interview with Julie Donaldson for WashingtonFootball.com said that Landon was a safety, but might be deployed in some linebacker like ways. Uh, That, in essence, is what's happening now. A lot of this is semantics. You know, more and more, the lines are being blurred in football in terms of which positions players play. You have corners who play safety. You have safeties who play linebacker. You have receivers who play running back. You have running backs who play receiver. Like, there's a mixing and matching going on in the NFL like never before. It more and more is becoming a positionless game. I mean, we'll never get to a point at which the NFL is completely positionless, clearly, but there is much more of a blurring of the lines these days as compared to in years past. Call Landon Collins what you want. What he has been recently is more effective because he hasn't been in pass coverage nearly as much. Why he was ever in pass coverage to any significant degree, I'll never really understand, but whatever. I think we're in a much better place now with Landon Collins. And Landon playing this new role, whatever you want to call it, is allowing Washington to play Landon, Cameron Curl, and Bobby McCain at the same time. Rod Rivera talked about this during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Tuesday. Jack Del Rio on Thursday on playing Landon Collins, Cameron Curl, and Bobby McCain at the same time. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, from a disguise standpoint, from... um you know, an application standpoint, we're able to do things with those guys. They're, they're great working together. They communicate well, and we can, we can alter roles. We can, um, we can do things uh, to take advantage of their skill set. And uh, the key is to be able to do it and coordinate and understand, you know, where you belong for each other. And I think they've done a great job working together on that. They overall have lately got to continue that come Sunday at the Raiders. All right, it is that time, the time to rhyme. It is time for Rhyming Keys, as I will rhyme the path to victory for the Washington football team in its game at the Las Vegas Raiders Sunday afternoon at 4.05. As is always the case, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. They are simply meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. 
And so here we go. Let's have a good time. Rhyming keys for Washington at Vegas. How does Washington win this game? Let us rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one. This is for the Washington football team's defense. Don't let Carr have completions that go far. We have talked so much about the improvement of Washington's defense, especially Washington's secondary. It is crucial that the secondary be on come Sunday at the Raiders because Raiders quarterback Derek Carr just may be the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. Somewhere Al Davis is smiling when he watches Derek Carr. Derek Carr through week 12 for Pro Football Focus was number one in the NFL this season in big time throws with 31. Derek Carr through week 12 for PFF was number two among qualified quarterbacks in the NFL this season in big time throw percentage at 7.5. Derek Carr through week 12 per PFF was number one in the NFL this season in deep passing yards with 910. And Derek Carr through week 12 was number one in the NFL this season in overall passing yards with 3,414. There's also this, uh, maybe the best deep threat in NFL history, uh, our pal, former Washington receiver Deshaun Jackson, he now is on the Raiders. Uh, Deshaun over three games with the Raiders only has four receptions on five targets, but the four receptions have totaled 140 yards. Uh, That's an average of 35 yards per catch. Washington's defense in the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football overall played well, but did give up three big passing plays. First quarter, receiver Tyler Lockett wide open on a Russell Wilson third and one 55-yard under center play action completion to Lockett, despite Deron Payne having a quarterback hit on the play. Lockett was wide open due to William Jackson the third abandoning Lockett in coverage due to expecting Bobby McCain to pick up the coverage. Second quarter, Bobby McCain got beat by receiver Tyler Lockett on a Russell Wilson first and 10, 39-yard under center play action completion to Lockett despite a quarterback hit by Jonathan Allen. Fourth quarter, Russell Wilson, the first and 10, 32-yard shotgun touchdown pass to receiver Freddie Swain with 15 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Swain wide open in the middle of the field. So you on Monday night gave up a 55-yard bomb, gave up a 39-yard bomb, gave up a crucial 32-yard touchdown pass with 15 seconds left in the fourth quarter. It is imperative that Washington at the Raiders keeps the explosive passing plays to a minimum. And so rhyming key number one, this for the Washington football team's defense, don't let Carr have completions that go far. Rhyming key number two for Washington at Vegas, this is for Scott Turner and Washington's offensive line. Never relax when blocking Max. That's Max as in Raiders edge defender Max Crosby, who is having some season. Now, Max Crosby only has five sacks this season. This is why you can't just go by sacks. Max Crosby through week 12 was number two in the NFL in quarterback hits with 24. Max Crosby through week 12 was number eight among qualified edge defenders in the NFL in ESPN's pass rush win rate metric at 24% and was number nine among qualified edge defenders in the NFL in ESPN's run stop 
win rate metric at 28%. And Max Crosby through week 12 had the highest overall grade for pro football focus of any qualified edge defender in the NFL this season. His overall grade for PFF this season is 92.1. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Max Crosby's overall grade for the season is 92.1. Max Crosby is capable of single-handedly wrecking this game for Washington. Scott Turner needs to have a sound plan for dealing with Max Crosby. Washington's offensive line needs to be on its game for this game, and Washington's offensive line has been on its game for most of this season. But, you know, Washington has yet to face an edge defender who's having the season that Max Crosby is having. By the way, uh, please no penalties for Brandon Sheriff on Sunday. You know, I've yet to talk about this because we've all been in such a good mood with the three-game winning streak, but Brandon Sheriff on Monday night had two more penalties. Second quarter, Brandon Sheriff committed a holding penalty that was offset by a holding penalty that was committed by Seahawks corner DJ Reed. And then in the fourth quarter, Brandon Sheriff committed a nine-yard holding penalty that negated an Antonio Gibson fourth and one 37-yard run. That penalty by Sheriff was a killer. Anyway, Washington has got to do a good job on Max Crosby. What we can have is what happened in the loss to the Los Angeles Rams at FedEx Field in week five of last season. Do you remember that game? Uh, That was the Aaron Donald game. On a rainy day at FedEx Field, Aaron Donald dominated Washington in ways that were unholy and impure. Donald had four sacks. And yes, Aaron Donald is an interior defensive lineman. Max Crosby is an edge defender. But to get the idea, truly elite front seven defensive players can ruin you in a game. Washington cannot let itself be ruined by Max Crosby, who, by the way, spells his first name with two X's, not one. So you know he's tough. Rhyming key number two, this is for Scott Turner and Washington's offensive line. Never relax when blocking Max. And rhyming key number three for Washington at Vegas, this is for the Washington football team's offense. Be smart, don't be whack, but you can have success at the silver and black. As good as Max Crosby has been, the Raiders' defense overall has been just so-so, and even bad in some ways. The Raiders, through Week 12 for Football Outsiders DVOA metric, were just number 25 in the NFL in pass defense and number 17 in the NFL in run defense. The Raiders, through Week 12, were 16th in the NFL in third down defense, having allowed opponents to convert on 40.4% of third downs. Uh, you look at what opposing teams against the Raiders this season have done throwing the football. Opposing teams against the Raiders this season have combined for a yards per pass attempt of just 6.6. So that is impressive from a Raiders defensive standpoint. But opposing teams against the Raiders this season also have combined for 20 touchdown passes versus four interceptions and have combined for a completion percentage of 66.7. You can move the football against the Raiders. You know, the Raiders have allowed 106 points over the team's last three games. Washington's offense is in a really good place right now. Taylor Heineke is playing well. Antonio Gibson is running with a physicality. That's impressive. The offensive line is persevering through all of its injuries. Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas are back. There's a lot to like 
with this Washington offense right now. I do believe that Washington offensive success can continue on Sunday. Heineke has to play intelligently, as he has been playing. Gibson needs to not fumble. But yeah, Washington's offense very much has a chance to do well on Sunday. And so rhyming key number three, this for the Washington football team's offense. Be smart. Don't be whack. But you can have success at the silver and black. All right, prediction time. The line for this game per win bet as of very early Friday morning is Washington plus two. The public has been pounding the Raiders. Uh, I do believe that Washington can win this game. Uh, I hope like heck that Washington wins this game. But I could see this being a loss for Washington. Uh, This is a tough spot for Washington. A, Washington just played on Monday night. B, Washington has to fly nearly across the country to Vegas. And C, the Raiders haven't played a game since Thanksgiving. So a short week for Washington, a lengthy road trip for Washington, and an extra rested opponent for Washington. Uh, This actually marks a stretch of three consecutive games for Washington against extra rested opponents. At the Raiders in week 13, with the Raiders having not played since Thanksgiving. Home to the Dallas Cowboys in week 14, with the Cowboys having not played since the Thursday nighter in week 13. And then at the Philadelphia Eagles in week 15, with the Eagles having had their bye in week 14. I mean, who drew up this schedule? Dwight Schar? Uh, This is ridiculous to me. You can always tweet me, at Al Galdi, tweet from Mike, the John Mara scheduling special, the Raiders off a mini-buy, the Cowboys off a mini-buy, then the Eagles off a full-buy. Two road games and two games against division opponents. Thanks, NFL. Seriously. I mean, what a joke that is. So this is a tough spot for Washington. This also is a game that Washington doesn't have to have. Uh, Now, this is definitely a game that you want to have, But the five NFC East games to conclude Washington's regular season matter more than this game at the Raiders. And Washington is 0-4 against AFC teams this season for whatever that's worth. 5-2 versus NFC teams, but 0-4 against AFC teams. So I don't feel great about this game. Final score, Raiders 27, Washington 20. All right, let's get to the non-Washington football team items on this episode 200 of the Al Galdi podcast. And the day of Thursday, December 2nd, 2021, goes down as an all-timer regarding college football in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, The day of Thursday was not so common for the Commonwealth. It was on Thursday morning that we had the introductory press conference for Brent Pry as Virginia Tech head coach. It was then on Thursday afternoon that we had the stunning resignation of Bronco Mendenhall as Virginia head coach. Hard to top Thursday in terms of days of significance in the history of college football in Virginia. Uh, Next segment, I'll give you my thoughts on the Brent Pry introductory presser as Hokies head coach. But let's deal with the whopper. Bronco Mendenhall resigning as UVA Head coach, uh, the resignation will take effect following Virginia's bowl game for the 2021 season. So he'll coach one more game. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall's resignation came out of nowhere. I mean, nobody saw this coming. Uh, Bronco on Thursday informed his staff of his decision around 4.45 p.m., informed his players around 5 p.m., 
and then started a Zoom call with media members at 5.30 p.m. Boy, that all happened rather quickly. Uh, here was Bronco's explanation for his resignation. I've been a head coach for 17 years in a row. Uh, I was an assistant 11 before then, and I was a graduate assistant two years before then, and that's 31 years straight of football. And so it's 30, yeah, 31 years of, of straight football, and my wife and I will have been married 25 years in March. All we've known together is the rhythm of a football season. Uh, it's all my kids have known, and this January, all three will be gone. Uh, and Holly and I are empty nesters. And all they've known is the rhythm and cycle of football. And we know what that looks like really, really well. Um, and I would love to say there's been this buildup and a long amount of um, epiphanies and thought, but um, clearly this week um, there is um, a sense of clarity to me that I needed to step back from college football and reassess, renew, reframe, and reinvent uh, with my wife as a partner um, our future and the next chapter of our lives. So the explanation from Bronco pretty clearly is that he needs a break, wants to spend more time with his wife and family, etc., I mean, look, you always have to be skeptical when you hear that kind of thing, just because so many head coaches talk about that stuff and then jump like right back into coaching. But at least so far, indications are that Bronco is being truthful. I mean, I don't want to be a sap and just, you know, blindly accept everything that we're fed here. But I mean, there's no indication that there's like some scandal that Bronco Mendenhall is trying to get away from or anything like that. And you certainly aren't hearing anything in the way of Bronco is leaving Virginia because he wants to pursue some other head coaching job. We'll see. You know, I mean, I, I get being skeptical on something like this, but, you know, Bronco Mendenhall is known as a guy for whom there's more to life than just football. So maybe he has just come to some realizations on some things. Who knows? You know, everyone's different. Uh, Bronco will turn 56 on February 21st. There's no way to me that he's completely done coaching. He will coach again and maybe sooner rather than later, but he is done for now. Uh, Bronco, during his media session, stressed that his decision to resign was, in fact, his and that he was asked to remain as Cavaliers head coach by UVA's president, Jim Ryan, and UVA's director of athletics, Carlo Williams. More from Bronco. Um, I was requested to stay by our athletic director. I was requested to stay by our president. Uh, it's my decision only. And, and, um, and Holly, my wife's a little stunned and shocked, too. <laughs> Um, still, uh, but I believe a renewal and a pause and a reframing and a reinventing and a reconnecting is necessary to then become the very best person I can be moving forward. Yeah. So the immediate question that I wondered about when the Bronco Mendenhall news broke on Thursday was, did this have to do with the way that Virginia's regular season ended? Uh, Virginia's regular season did not end well. The Cavaliers at one point were 6-2 and two this season, but the Cavs ended up losing each of their final four regular season games. The Cavs have gone from 6-2 and two to 6-6. Six and six. Now, you look at the four-game losing streak, three of the four losses have come 
against ranked teams. So it's not like this is some shameful losing streak, but this is a losing streak. You had a 66-49 loss at then number 25 BYU on October 30th. You had a 28-3 loss to then number nine Notre Dame at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on November 13th. That was a game in which quarterback Brendan Armstrong did not play due to a rib injury. And so true freshman Jay Woolfolk was the Cavs starting quarterback, became the first true freshman to start at quarterback for the Cavs since 1977. You then had the 48-38 loss at then number 18 Pitt on November 20th. And then came the killer. Uh, What happened this past Saturday, a 29-24 loss to Virginia Tech at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville on November 27th. The Hokies defeating the Wahoos for a 17th time in 18 games. And the Hokies ultimately finishing with the exact same 6-6 overall record and exact same 4-4 ACC mark this season. Uh, As rocky as Virginia Tech's season has been, Tech has ended up having the same record as Virginia has had. Uh, Virginia this season has had an excellent offense quarterback by Armstrong, but a horrendous defense. Uh, Bronco says that his decision to resign was a decision that was his alone. Okay. Uh, But would he have decided to stay on had things gone better as Virginia's regular season went on? Uh, I guess we'll never know for sure. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall overall did do a good job as UVA head coach. Now, the overall record isn't great. Bronco over six seasons as a Wahoos head coach, 2016 through 2021, 36 and 38. Okay, so that's not a great overall record, I'll grant you, but the Hoos are bowl eligible in each of his final five seasons. Uh, Hoos went five and five in the 2020 season, but opted not to participate in a bowl game for the 2020 season. And remember, Bronco got Virginia to an Orange Bowl. Bronco in the 2019 season led the Hoos to an ACC Coastal Division title and the program's first New Year's Six Bowl appearance. Hoos lost to Florida in the Orange Bowl 36-28 on December 30th, 2019. But make no mistake, Bronco resigning abruptly like this leaves Virginia in a tough spot. I mean, what does this mean for recruiting? What is this going to mean for guys potentially transferring? Uh, This is not ideal. You know, you also have to think about it like this. The college football coaching cycle is already well underway. Virginia's getting a late start in the college football coaching cycle. So that's not good. Uh, So, you know, I certainly respect a guy's wishes to want to do other things. But this is not an ideal predicament in which Bronco Mendenhall has left Virginia. But this is the situation that Virginia is in. And, you know, you think about the 2021 season for Virginia. Again, at one point, Virginia was 6-2, and two, great offense, great quarterback. Here we are now, four consecutive losses, and the head coach has just resigned. Uh, my oh my, how things have changed for Wahoo All righty. Well, sadly, we do not have Goldilocks on this episode 200 of the pod. Uh, the regular seasons for Maryland, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are done. Each team went 6-6. Six and six. Each team is expected to be playing in a bowl game. Navy still has a game left in its season, but that game will not be until Saturday afternoon, December 11th. Uh, Navy versus Army, Saturday afternoon, December 11th at 3. Uh, Navy Army will be at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey this year. Goldilocks did go 2-1 and one last week. A sparkling 26-17 and 17 on the season. Yes, nine games above 500 on the season, despite these not being games that I like cherry pick to pick. I make myself pick these games for Maryland, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Navy against the spreads. And yet, Snoop, my friend, 26-17 and 17 is the record.
Make money, money, make money, money, money. Exactly, Snoop. Thank you. Uh, anyway, we on Thursday morning had the introductory press conference for Virginia Tech's new head coach, Brent Pry. Uh, Virginia Tech on Tuesday announced the hiring of Brent Pry as Hokies head coach. Brent Pry is a defensive-minded head coach. Pry spent the past eight seasons, 2014 to 2021, as defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Penn State. He was co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach for the 2014 and 2015 seasons and was the solo defensive coordinator and linebackers coach from 2016 to 2021. Brent Pry on Thursday had a good introductory press conference. He came off impressive. He looked sharp. I mean, most head coaches have good introductory press conferences. It's hard to screw up the introductory press conference, although some guys do screw up the introductory press conference. There were three things that stood out to me from the Brent Pry introductory presser. Uh, Number one, Brent Pry promised to recruit the heck out of the state of Virginia. A uh, criticism of Justin Fuente, fair or unfair, was that he didn't do a good enough job of recruiting the state of Virginia. This was Brent Pry on Thursday. We're going to recruit our footprint. We're going to recruit everywhere, but our footprint is going to be the emphasis. Uh, there's, there's been a sense of pride on this football team for a lot of years about the guys from the state of Virginia coming here and being successful. Yeah, a lot of good Virginia Tech players over the years have been players from the state of Virginia. So Brent Pry right there saying something that I think every Tech fan loved hearing. Quote, we're going to recruit our footprint. We're going to recruit everywhere, but our footprint is going to be the emphasis. End quote. Another thing that stood out about Brent Pry's introductory press conference, something that Virginia Tech Director of Athletics Whit Babcock said. So Pry did not announce an offensive coordinator But Babcock said that Tech is prepared to commit more resources to the position of offensive coordinator. Translation, commit more money to the position of offensive coordinator. Uh, That matters, and that needs to be the case. Uh, The Hokies have been a mediocre to bad offensive team in recent years. Pry is a defensive-minded head coach, so who the offensive coordinator is is going to matter a lot. Uh, Tech needs to get itself a great offensive coordinator. And then a third thing that stood out about Brent Pry's introductory press conference was him getting emotional. So Brent Pry has ties to Virginia Tech. Pry worked as a defensive graduate assistant for the Hokies from 1995 to 1997 under then head coach Frank Beamer and then defensive coordinator Bud Foster. Pry, at his intro presser on Thursday, got emotional when talking about Beamer and Foster. Take a listen. Of course, I want to thank Coach Beamer. And Coach Foster, uh, it's surreal to me because I looked up to you guys so much. (sighs) The admiration I have for you guys. I appreciate you being here today and support me in this venture. Appreciate the chance you took on me in 1995. Yeah, you can tell that being hired as Virginia Tech head coach means a lot to Brent Pry. So will he do well as Hokies head coach? I mean, who the heck knows? Uh, This is not a sexy hire, but that doesn't mean that this can't be a successful hire. Uh, Babcock on Thursday said that Pry was one of three to five serious candidates 
protects that coaching job. It has not been made clear who those other candidates were. I'll say this for Brent Pry. If, in fact, Clemson now is down, or at least is relatively down, there's an opportunity here for a Virginia Tech to rise up again in the ACC. The ACC remains a bad football conference, and you don't have to be great to make the ACC championship game, which for years was the Clemson Invitational. Well, Clemson isn't even in the ACC championship game for this season. So if Brent Pry can get things going in Blacksburg, can get things a-churning in Blacksburg, there's a real opportunity to win some ACC titles and maybe even make the college football playoff. But we are a ways away from that with the Hokies right now. Well, we on Thursday night had something with the Capitals 2021-2022 regular season that we had not yet had. A game decided in a shootout. Uh, This was the Caps' first game that was decided in a shootout in 24 games this season. Uh, The Caps had had five games go beyond regulation, but all five of those games had been decided in overtime, with all five of those games having been Caps' losses. Well, the Caps now can say that they advanced to a shootout this season, and they lost that game too. Uh, Caps fell to 14-4-6 with a 4-3 shootout loss to the Chicago Blackhawks at Capital One Arena on Thursday night. Caps now are third in the overall NHL standings at 34 points. The Florida Panthers and Toronto Maple Leafs are tied atop the NHL standings at 35 points. But how about the Caps? They now are winless in six games that have gone beyond regulation this season. 0-5 in games decided in overtime. 0-1 in games decided via shootout. Uh, That, to me, is nothing more than bad luck. Like, I don't think you make a big thing out of that thing. Uh, Thursday night is a perfect example. Caps lost in the shootout 1-0 as Evgeny Kuznetsov and Daniel Sprong each hit a post in the shootout before the Blackhawks' Patrick Kane scored. I mean, is that skill or is that just bad luck? I mean, to me, that's just bad luck. So the Caps did at least get a point. Uh, They also got back one of their many injured players. Defenseman Justin Schultz returned from a three-game absence caused by an upper body injury that he suffered in the 6-3 win over the Montreal Canadiens at Capital One Arena on November 24th. But the Caps remained without TJ Oshie. He missed a sixth consecutive game due to a lower body injury. Caps remained without Connor Sheary. He missed a sixth consecutive game due to an upper body injury. Uh, Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery. Nicholas Backstrom has yet to play this season due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. Now, the Caps were coming off that disastrous loss at the Panthers on Tuesday night, a 5-4 loss in which the Caps blew a 4-1 third-period lead. Caps lost the third period 4-0. Caps in the third period, gave up an even-strength goal, a shorthanded goal, and two power play goals. The Caps in the third period had just two shots on goal to the Panthers' 27. The Caps in that third period on Tuesday night were about as wretched as you'll ever see a hockey team be. We had no such drama or collapse on Thursday night, although the Caps did blow a 3-2 third-period lead. Uh, Caps for the game per natural statric had 49 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Blackhawks' 44, including 18 second-period 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Blackhawks' 8. Vitek Vanacek was the Caps' starting goaltender on Thursday night. Nice to see Vitek. Uh, Nice to know that he's still with us here. Uh, Vitek was the cap starting goaltender for just the second time in eight games as Ilya Samsonov clearly has overtaken Vitek Vanacek 
as the Caps' number one goaltender. Vitek on Thursday night stopped 25 of the 28 shots on goal that he faced. He, per natural stat trick, stopped five of the seven high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped 10 of the 11 medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all eight of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. Very good game for Alex Ovechkin. Uh, He did not score a goal, but he had the lone assist on an Evgeny Kuznetsov second period even strength goal. Ovechkin had a game high 11 shot attempts. Ovechkin had three hits, including a blistering hit on Blackhawks defenseman Connor Murphy shortly before the Kuznetsov goal. And Ovechkin was a puck possession gangster. Uh, Ovechkin, per natural stat trick, number one on the Caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game at 71%. 0.43. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations on Thursday night had 20 shot attempts versus allowing just eight shot attempts. Uh, Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on that hit by Ovechkin. Well, I mean, it's listen. You know, you you don't want to see anybody get hurt. You're right, but in the same sense, we've got to establish a physical game, and um, I don't think we were very good with that. Again, if you're turning pucks over, it's hard to be physical. If you can put pucks behind them like we did, and then you can get in and get in on the forecheck and make things happen, um, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have a a better looking period or a better looking game. Yeah, Connor Murphy got banged up on that hit. But, I mean, here you have Alex Ovechkin in his age 36 season laying the lumber like that. Ovechkin now number three in the NHL this season in points at 38, 19 goals, 19 assists. I mentioned Evgeny Kuznetsov having a second period, even strength goal. Kuznetsov now tied for fifth in the NHL this season in points at 28, eight goals, 20 assists. Uh, Garnett Hathaway and Nick Dowd, each guy had an even strength goal and assist and a penalty caps went 0 of 1 on the power play, 1 of 2 on the penalty kill. Next up for the Caps, they'll host the Columbus Blue Jackets Saturday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday's show will be episode 201. And it will be a special Washington football team post-game show installment of the pod off whatever happens at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. Also on the show, I'll discuss the rest of your Washington, D.C. sports weekend. I'll talk Capitals. I'll host the Columbus Blue Jackets Saturday night at 7. I'll talk Wizards. Uh, They'll host the Cleveland Cavaliers Friday night at 7. And then I'll be at the Toronto Raptors Sunday evening at 6. And I'll talk Maryland and Georgetown basketball. Terrapins will host Northwestern Sunday at noon in the Terps Big Ten opener. The Hoyas will be at South Carolina Sunday afternoon at 2. A very busy Sunday. The Washington football team, the Wizards, Maryland, and Georgetown all playing on Sunday. Uh, We also have Virginia Tech's ACC opener this weekend. Hokies will host Wake Forest Saturday afternoon at 2. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea, with a rollicking song he sweeps along, swaggering boisterously. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. 
But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.